quest to get to know God. Amen? I don't know about you guys, but I'm getting to know him day by day by day. Amen. He is uh, good to get to know. And it's got to be like a lifetime event for us. Getting to know him is not something we do on Wednesday night alone. Right? We, gotta, we, we get to know God every day, every minute of every day almost. It's, it's just a, what we're doing here on Wednesday night is just kind of a sparking of the interest. Amen? Just kind of getting, our, get, getting us in gear to get to know him more. Um, I'm going to read John 14 for you. You don't have to go there, but John 14 says this. Jesus told him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one can come to the Father except through me. If you had really known me, you would have known who my Father is. From now on, you do know him, and you have seen him. And then Philip said, Lord, show us the Father. Because we're getting to know the Father, right? So Philip, he's, he's wanting to get to know the Father God. And Jesus is saying, if you've known me, you know the Father, and, and from now on you know him, and you've seen him. And Philip says, Lord, show us the Father, and then we'll be satisfied. And in verse 9, Jesus replied, Have I been with you all this time, Philip, and yet you still don't know who I am? Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. So why are you asking me to show him to you? Don't you believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? And the words that I speak are not my own, but my Father who lives in me does his work through me. And then he says in verse 11, just believe. We have a hard time just believing, right? He says, just believe that I am the Father and the Father is in me. And then he says, or at least believe because of the works that I've done, because you've seen me do it. If you can't believe just to believe, at least believe because you saw all the stuff I did while I was here, right? And so if we're getting to know God, our Father, which is, that's what we're doing, then we got to get to know Jesus too, because Jesus is God in the flesh, amen? Jesus is our connector between God and and ourselves. Jesus is the connector. There's like 24 hours in a day, right? We spend about eight hours at work, something like that. We spend about eight hours asleep, some of us more or less than that. And then we spend the other eight hours doing all the necessary things to make a good life, you know. We eat, and we brush our teeth, you know, and we pay the bills, and we play with the kids, and take the dog for a walk and spend some time on our phone and watch some TV and all those other things that we do, we squeeze into those other eight hours, right? And I'm not telling you to stop doing those things. Those things are necessary, like even sleeping and, and you know, going to work. They're necessary things. But if we can't put Jesus and God and our knowledge of Him in the middle of all those things, we're just wasting our life. Amen? I'm going to read what Paul said in Philippians 3. If you want to turn there, you can. Philippians 3, verse 7. Paul says this, and he, he's talking about his, his efforts to obey the law in this verse. He's talking about worldly things that he does every day. He says, once I thought these things were valuable, 
But now I consider them worthless because of what Christ has done. Yes, everything is worthless when compared with the infinite value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake I have discarded everything else, counting it all as garbage, so that I could gain Christ and become one with him. That's pretty significant right there, right? We, we take our lives so seriously in everything that we have to do. And Paul's saying, you know, trying to be obedient and all those things and is just garbage in comparison to knowing Jesus. And so I want you to understand tonight, there's nothing, nothing, nothing in our lives that's more important than knowing God. Last week I shared this verse with you. I'm going to read it to you one more time. You can turn there if you would. Psalms chapter 8, starting in verse 3. And it's just a declaration of the goodness of what God created. Psalm 8, starting in 3, it says, When I view and consider your heavens and the work of your fingers, the moons and the, the moon and the stars which you have ordained and established, what is man that you are mindful of him and the son of man that you care for him? And yet you made us but a little lower than God or Elohim or the heavenly beings. You have crowned him with glory and honor and made him to have dominion over the works of your hands. And you have put all things under his feet. And so remember that phrase, a little lower than Elohim. Remember we talked about that last week. A little lower, we were created a little lower than the creator. And we talked about some of that last week. Because we were created in God's image. Amen? We're made from the master blueprint. We were created from a blueprint, and God's that blueprint. We were created to have the same qualities and the same nature as God in creation. Before the fall, we were created with a God nature. Amen? And we were given this authority over the earth dominion, rulership over this earth from God. But now remember what I said with regard to this authority, that what makes us different than God is the power that's behind that authority. Amen? We have authority on this earth, yes. But without God's power backing it up, we don't have anything. We're nothing. Okay? So don't lose sight of the power that's in your authority. And it's really humbling when we begin to think about all that God's given us. Like when you begin to study all the things that God's given us and made us into, it's kind of humbling. Power is not the only thing that sets us apart from God. So I, I didn't mean to you guys think that power was the only difference between us and God. There are other differences, but with regard to our authority, we have none without that power. That power is what makes us a little lower than God. Amen? And so tonight I want to share some of these other things. Some of these other attributes or characteristics of God that make Him God. That make Him God. The Bible calls God by many names. And maybe you've heard some, maybe you haven't heard some. But the most conclusive descriptive, absolute verse 
that describes God is Exodus 3.14. Exodus chapter 3, verse 14. In this chapter, Moses is having a conversation with God through a burning bush. You guys know this story, right? The burning bush and God is speaking to Moses. He's giving him some instruction. And he told him to go back and tell the people what he had said. Go back down the mountain and tell them what I said. And Moses, Moses says, who should I tell the people that this message is from? This is Moses' first encounter with God Almighty. And he says, who am I supposed to tell this, these people that the message is from? In other words, he says, what's your name? He's asking God, what is your name? And verse 14 says this, And God said unto Moses, I am that I am. And he said, Thus shalt thou say unto the children of Israel, I am has sent me unto you. And so God identifies himself with this phrase, which is actually a description, a statement of his nature. Amen? And so... When, when Moses says, what's your name? He doesn't just say a name because Hebrew words are much more complex than just Fred or Sam or Jane, right? Hebrew names have descriptive natures. And so this phrase in Hebrew, I wish Danny were here that he could pronounce it for me. But it, it, this phrase, the Hebrew phrase most simply translated, it translates I am who I am, or I am that I am. But if you read the amplified version um, of that verse, I'm going to read it to you. It gives you a little bit more insight from the amplified. It says, And God said to Moses, I am who I am and what I am, and I will be what I will be. And then he said, You shall say to the Israelites, I am has sent me to you. So it gives a little bit bigger picture of just what that phrase means. It's, it's a descriptive name. It's a description of God's nature. It is, it, it is His very nature. I read a Hebrew commentary that said this about that phrase. It says, The statement carries a sense of necessity, simplicity, and absoluteness. In using this particular phrasing, God identifies himself as the self-existing one, the eternal, unique, and uncreated God. So it simply means just God just is. The phrase just means God just is. He just is. I think it's funny that people argue about the existence of God when Existence is God. God is very the, the very existence of everything, and they're arguing if God exists. It's pretty funny. It's also interesting if you do a study about that, that little phrase, that I am in that verse is written three times. You say, it says, I am that I am, and then it goes on and says, and you tell them that I am has been sent to you. 
It says, it says, I am, or this Hebrew phrase, three times in that verse. And in Hebrew interpretation of that, it's a representation of the past, the present, and the future. He was, he is, and he forever shall be, basically, is, as, as they're repeating it three times. The three, the three terms mean all three tenses. It was interesting in my study, I realized that the Hebrew language doesn't have an actual word that they use for I am, like in their normal conversation. That phrase, I am, is so holy, they don't even write it down on, on manuscript paper for fear that it might get thrown away or, you know, burned or something. And they don't even have a word that says I am. So when, when, when they say, they don't say I am hungry. They just say I hungry. If you translate it correctly. They say I was hungry. And they, and they say I, I will be hungry. But they don't say I am hungry. There's such reverence for that little phrase, I am. That's pretty interesting to me. And it also kind of points the the three times that that's used in that verse points to the three natures of God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So three is an important number in this Hebrew study. So I want to spend a little time identifying or refreshing your memory with some other names of God from Scripture. And my favorite one and I think it's Miriam's favorite one too, because we've already yelled it out one time, is Yahweh. Yahweh. The word Yahweh. Which is, this is how we pronounce it, and I know that we're not pronouncing it correctly, because we're not Hebrew. But we could take like an entire semester and break down the, the name or the term Yahweh. It, it just holds so much significance. It's, it's a big word. And the way that, that, that we in English spell it is Y-H-W-H. So if you see that, Y-H-W-H, all in capital letters, it's, it's the word Yahweh. And it's a reference to God or Lord. Big letters, Lord. L-O-R-D, all in big letters. Okay? And then over some time and translations, and I won't get into the whole how it happened, but the, the word or the name Yahweh was translated into Jehovah. So Jehovah and Yahweh is the same name, right? And it is the only name of God that refers only to God. Like the, the word Elohim means God creator or God very God we've talked about. But the word Elohim is also used to, to describe other heavenly beings. Angelic beings, for instance, and other, other heavenly beings. And you have to read it within reference to what it's talking about to know if it's talking about God himself or other heavenly beings. But the word Yahweh just means God. Right? The word Adonai, 
You guys heard that word? The word Adonai is a word for God. But it's also a word, it means Lord. It can also mean like a king, you know, like Lord David or the master. It can even mean a shepherd that's the leader of the sheep. He's the Lord over the sheep. He is the Adonai over his sheep. So Adonai, when you see that word, you have to know if it's talking about God, 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 or if it's talking about just a ruler. All right? So, but, but when you see the word Jehovah or Yahweh, it can't get confused with anything else. It's God. It just means God. And so, because the Hebrew language is a little confusing, no, it's a lot confusing, I want you to watch this little video right here. Hamp's going to play us a little video. It's just a minute or two long and see if this helps just a little bit where we're going. Old Testament. Each name is designed to describe a different element of who God is or what God does. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. That's the name Elohim, the strong one, the creator God. When God wanted to relate to his creation, he gave a new name. That is the name Yahweh, which we call Jehovah. So when you read your Bible and you see the name God, you have to look at the spelling to know which Hebrew word he's talking about. If you see G-O-D, that's generally Elohim, the creator God. In the beginning, Elohim created the heavens and the earth. If when you read your Bible, you see capital L, small o, small r, small d, that is generally Adonai, boss, manager, supervisor, the one who's in charge. When you read your Bible and you read the letter capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D, that is generally Yahweh, the covenant-keeping, relatable God. So we should not be surprised that Jesus took God's relational name to explain who he was to people since he left heaven to relate to mankind. All right, did that help a little bit? All right, so when you're reading your Bible now and you see printed a big L-O-R-D, because it'll be printed that way. It's talking about Yahweh, the relatable God. And the translation will, it depends on your translation too. And there, the message translation translate Yahweh as something else. And so, but you'll get the idea when you start to read your translation. If you're reading King James, New King James, even the... New American Standard, ESV, those versions will have these, these terms. But some of your um, more casual reading, paraphrase versions will have like a, a substitute word in there. But you'll figure it out. It gives you an idea anyway. Get a concordance, Austin says. <laughs> but Yahweh or Jehovah is a relational word. It's God who relates to us, okay? And so if you put together 
Yahweh or Jehovah. And I'm going to use the term Jehovah, which also means Yahweh. It's the same word. I'm going to use it to describe these words. But if you put Jehovah together with Elohim, then it means the Lord God or the relational creator. Right? The, the God who relates to me through creation or by the creation. Isn't that cool? And so, different titles, different parts of God's nature are expressed to us through His names. Like uh, Adonai Jehovah, or Jehovah Adonai, would mean the Lord, our Master, or our Ruler. Right? So here's a few more that I just kind of pulled out. You guys have probably heard them before. I can throw you a verse if you... Would you like a reference verse for these? All right, I'll give them to you. El Shaddai, you guys have heard that. Now, the term L-E-L is just a short way to say Jehovah. It means the same thing. You could say Jehovah Shaddai, but El Shaddai is the way that it's printed. It means the all-sufficient one or Lord God Almighty, Genesis 17, 1 is the reference for that. Then there's El Olam. El Olam in Genesis 21:33. And it means the everlasting God. The God of eternity. E L dash O L A M El Olam. Genesis 21:33. Then you have Jehovah Jireh. We've all heard that one. I'm going to burst into song up here and start singing Jehovah Jireh. Ben will jump on the drums and we'll just have a hoedown in here. Jehovah Jireh, my provider, or the Lord is my provider. Genesis 22, 8 through 14 is a description of Jehovah as the provider. Jehovah Nisi. Does anybody know that one? The Lord is my banner or my victory. Jehovah Nisi, reign in victory is a song we used to sing. Jehovah Nisi, reign in victory. Jehovah Nisi. That's from Exodus seventeen fifteen. Jehovah Rapha, R-A-P-H-A. Jehovah Rapha means the Lord, my healer. Whoo! Jehovah Rapha, the Lord is our healer. Exodus fifteen twenty six. Jehovah Shalom. Jehovah Shalom. What do you, what, Miriam? When someone walks up and says Shalom, it means peace be with you, right? In Hebrew, Jehovah Shalom is the Lord of my peace. The Lord of peace. Judges 6.24 is that reference. Jehovah Tsikanu. It's T-S-I-D-K-E-E-N-U. Tsikanu. Jehovah Seed Canoe, and it's the Lord our righteousness. 
How many of you know the Lord is righteous? And this is a descriptive word from Jeremiah 23, 6. And then again in Jeremiah 33, 16, Jehovah is our righteousness. Jehovah M'Kadesh. It's an M with an apostrophe and then K-A-D-D-E-S-H. And it means the Lord is our sanctifier. Or get this, the Lord is the one who makes me holy. That's what that name means. When you call on the Lord Jehovah Mkedesh, you are calling on the God that makes you holy. That's found in Exodus 31, 13. And again in Leviticus 20, 20 verse 8, 21 verse 8, 22 verse 9, and then Ezekiel 20 and 12. Then there's Jehovah Shaboth. Saboth. Saboth. S-A-B-O-A-T-H. Saboth. It means the Lord of hosts. And I'll give you one reference. 1 Samuel 1, 3. But it's used 281 times in Scripture. The Lord of hosts. The Lord of hosts. Jehovah Shammah. From Ezekiel 48.35, Jehovah Shammah. It means the Lord is near, or the Lord is present. This one is Jehovah Elyon, or you'll see it El Elyon. E-L-E-L-Y-O-N, El Elyon. It means the Lord Most High. The Lord Most High. It's in Psalm seven seventeen, and again in forty seven two Psalms forty seven two. Then there's Jehovah Raha. R a a h. It's from Psalm twenty three. The Lord is my shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd. Jehovah Raha. And one more, Jehovah Hosinu, H-O-S-E-E-N-U, from Psalm 95, 6. The Lord is our maker. The Lord, our maker. Notice it's different than creator. Jehovah Hosinu, the Lord, our maker. Psalm 95, 6. I want to encourage you guys to take some time, if you wrote those down, go back and read the description and, and how God implanted His His nature, His Word, His name nature into those verses. What He was talking about, what He was referencing to, it'll help you to know Him as God of all of these things. And there's more. There's more than these. There's variances to different ones. But I just wanted you to get a feel of the divine nature of God. Just a taste of the divine, His divine nature. 
his might, his power, his excellence. It's who he is. He is, expresses to us who he, he is by the names in the word. Amen? And so, when you're studying these words, always remember this, bottom line. Here comes the bottom line to all these God names that are so, you know, Hebraic and Old Testament-like. Here's the bottom line. There's one more name that Jesus gave to us for our Father. Does anybody know what it is? It's Abba. The word Abba means Daddy, Father. It's a reference to just like it's a reference to the Father God, but in a way that means that's my daddy. And that's what Jesus gave us. Jesus gave us that relational word. Amen. I'll read you Romans eight fourteen. Actually fourteen through sixteen. It says For all who are led by the Spirit of God are children of God. That's me and you, right? So you have not received a spirit that makes you fearful slaves. Instead, you receive God's spirit when he adopted you as his own children. And so now we call him Abba, Father. For his spirit joins with our spirit to affirm that we are God's children. That is good news, amen? That's good. So as a believer, he is our Father. Our daddy. And since he's our father and we are his children, then we are created in his likeness, so we are like him. We went to um, Veggies to go the other uh, last Sunday after church. We sat at a table all together, me and Pastor Allen and Austin and Hamp and I don't know, several of us. We were sitting there and there was this man at the other table and he kind of hollered out and said yep you can't deny him or something like that looking at Hamp because he noticed how much Hamp looked like Alan and he was saying that Hampton couldn't you know Alan couldn't deny Hampton because they look just alike they look just alike and he actually noticed that he sounded like him he had mannerisms like him Hampton was created in Pastor Allen's natural image, right? And he shares natural attributes with him. And so in the same way, we are created in God's spiritual image, and so we share spiritual attributes with God. Same thing. Have you ever thought about the fruits of the Spirit? Let's name them. Love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, kindness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control, or, or temperance. Right? And so, these aren't just sweet little gifts that God gave us when we're born again. Right? These aren't just... Um, some guideline that God says, now you know me, so I want you to measure up to all these little, uh, these nine little things I'm going to give you here and check yourself every day and make sure you're doing them right. That's not what they are, right? 
they are the nature of God that we receive into our spirit when we accept Jesus. The fruits of the Spirit are God's nature implanted into us. Right? It's His nature come to life on the inside of us. What do you think 2 Corinthians 5.17 actually means? Somebody look it up. 2 Corinthians 5.17, what do you actually think it's talking about? Second Corinthians 5.17 says this, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away, and behold, all things have become new. The old thing that's passed away is your old nature. And the thing that has become new is your new God nature. That's what the verse is saying. If you're born again, the fruits of the Spirit are part of your new nature. They become your natural, supernatural disposition. Right? And so if you're a new creature, your spirit has been reborn into the image of the Heavenly Father. You are a partaker of His divine nature, it says in 2 Peter 1.4. It says, and because of His glory and excellence, He has given us great and precious promises. And these are the promises that enable you to share His divine nature and escape from the world's corruption caused by human desires. This is... It all goes together. We talk about having to set ourselves apart. We don't have that nature of the world anymore. This verse tells us we are promised that we share in His divine nature, and that gives us the ability to escape the world's corruptions. Right? All of the amazing attributes of God, all the things that you think of God, when you think of God, all the fruits... He's given them all to you. Because you are in Him. He is in you. God is loving by nature. If we're just naming the fruits, love. God is loving by nature. 1 John 4, 8 says God is love. God is joyful by nature. According to Psalm sixteen eleven. in thy presence is fullness of joy. God is good by nature. Exodus 34, 6 says, The Lord is abundant in goodness. God is peaceful by nature. The Bible calls Him a God of peace. God is patient by nature. He is gentle by nature. He's faithful by nature. And He is kind by nature. It's His nature. And we know he's self-controlled. He has temperance or else we'd be all struck dead by now. Right? I want, you to, I want you to get the idea that all of these attributes of God are given to you when you're born again. God 
is love, so you are love. Wait, what did I just say? I thought God was only love, and I can't be love. I just practice love. No. God is love. You have received His nature. Therefore, you are love. Hmm. That's good. God is patient. Therefore, you are patient. Say, I am patient. God is good. Therefore, I am good. That's a big statement right there. Right? You have the nature of God. Now, there's some other attributes. We could study some more. I'm going to call out just a few before we finish tonight. Because I just want you to see how awesome God is. One of them is this. Holiness, if you're writing these down. Some of the characteristics, natures, the the attributes of God. God is holy. The holiness of God is that He is separate from sin and incorruptible. So His holiness describes His sinlessness. Amen? Have you ever noticed in Isaiah 6, 3, and wherever that is in Revelation, it says, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord. You ever seen that? There's not another attribute of God that is elevated to the third degree like that. Nowhere in the Scripture do you see God is love, love, love. No. Only, only that one thing about Him is repeated three times. We call that elevated, an elevated word. And it's elevated to the third degree. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Man, it must mean He's holy. Right? But do you think you can be holy? Remember, it says that holiness is separated from sin. Can you be holy? God thinks you can. God says you can. Matter of fact, He says you should. He calls us to be holy. 1 Peter 1, 15 and 16 says, But now you must be holy. Must is a strong word. It says, But now you must be holy in everything you do, just as God who chose you is holy. For the Scripture says, You must be holy because I am holy. And God's not going to ask you to do something that He hasn't given you the ability to do. He has given, he has given us the ability to live a sinless life in Him. Right? I mean, that's what holy means. Sinless. And then right there He says, you must be holy in everything you do. Wow. Another thing I'll mention about God is His immutability. That's a big word. He is immutable. Does anybody know what it means? It means He cannot change. Never changing. Immutability means 
God cannot change. James 1.17 says, The Father of the heavenly lights who does not change like shifting shadows. It's talking about God. He does not change. Now, there are times in the Bible, there are people that will argue with this because they say, well, what about when Moses took the people out from Egypt and they were ready to go at first and God was taking them to the promised land and then they started wah wah we need some food, and we want some water, and this going to take forever. Why would you ever bring us out of Egypt? We're going to die out here. They started whining about it. And then it seems like God changed his mind. Well, since you're going to have this kind of attitude, you're going to wander around for 40 years out here. It, it seems like God changed to some people. But God's plan never changed. He just responded to, he has to respond to people in their wills. That doesn't mean he changed. It doesn't mean he changed his mind about taking them to the promised land. He didn't change his mind. He just had to go a different route to get them there. Right? He doesn't change. He's not going to change. He's never changing. And here's what's good news is His promises never change. If He's immutable, then His promises do not change. If He promised that we could lay hands on the sick and they would recover, then He's not going to change His mind after all the apostles die. He doesn't change. We can depend on Him. Amen? Another thing I'll quickly mention is his omnipotence. I'm giving y'all some big words. Omnipotence refers to his being all-powerful. Omnipotence means all-powerful. And it's reflected in one of his names, El Shaddai, God Almighty, all-powerful. Jesus said in Matthew 19, 26, With God, all things are possible. Now, why do people not take that literally? Well, some things are possible. Most things are possible. No, it says all things are possible. But I want to give you something interesting. Here's a quote from C.S. Lewis for you, Cody. Cody likes quotes and such. C.S. Lewis said this, his omnipotence means power to do all that is intrinsically possible, not to do the intrinsically impossible. Now, that's some big words, but here's what it means. Intrinsically impossible things are this, what he's referring to. Things that would not be in accordance with God's nature. So, God is all-powerful, but there again, he can't do things that go against his nature. So God can't sin. But I thought God was all-powerful. Yes, but he's not going to do something that's intrinsically impossible. It's impossible for him to sin. So it's, it seems like a contradiction, right? 
to some philosophy, you know, philosophical minds. But God's not going to do things that go against his nature. He can't. He cannot lie. Right? And the other part is, he's not going to do something that's logically impossible. In other words, he's not going to say a square circle. Because that doesn't make sense. He's not going to call 2 plus 2 equals 5. Okay, because that's nonsense. So he, he's not going to... He's not all powerful enough to declare that 2 plus 2 equals 5 when 2 plus 2 impossibly equals 5. Right? He's not going to do that. He is not going to cause Adam to sin so that he can work out some... No. He doesn't cause or contradict the will of man. So, the term omnipotence, meaning all-powerful, yes, he is all-powerful. But with limits, if that makes any sense at all. He has limited himself to things that actually make sense and things that are within his nature. Amen? Another one is his omnipresence. His omnipresence refers to Him being present everywhere. God transcends all space, and He is not subject to any spatial or time limitation. Amen? He fills every part of space with His entire being. That's His eminence. And it says in Psalm 139, David says this, If I go up to the heavens, you are there. And if I make my bed in the depths, you are there. Okay? He's everywhere. He's everywhere. And then another one is his omniscience. Omniscience. It refers to him being all-knowing. And it's hard for us to wrap our minds around a God that's all-knowing. Understanding that He knew the beginning from the end. He, he, knew, he knew all that would happen. You know, there's arguments about, well, why didn't He just change it? Make it different if He knew it from the beginning of, to the end. You know, He doesn't see time the way that we see it. And it, it's hard to even imagine he doesn't see history the way we see history. He just looks down and sees time. He just looks at it and sees it in one big... I don't know, it's, it's, it's hard to describe. He doesn't see, you know, in 1492, Columbus sailed the ocean blue or whatever. He, he doesn't measure things by years and dates. And yes, he knew that Adam would sin. That's why he had a plan, and he knew he knew that we'd be sitting here tonight. He, here's the argument about, and I'm going to talk about this one. The, the next one is his sovereignty. 
which is a big can of worms that I'm not going to open tonight, but that's the last one I'll talk about tonight. Sovereignty. God knows. He knew that Lourdes would choose him, but he didn't make her choose him. God is sovereign, yes. Here's what the dictionary says sovereign is. It means paramount paramount or supreme, having supreme rank or power, independent like an independent sovereign state, and it means excellent. And none of those definitions means that God controls everything. Religion twisted the word sovereign and made it made it seem like God is in control of everything that happens. If God, I'm not going to open this up tonight. We're going to do this later. I've already done this once and you can get the podcast and listen to it. But God did not, he, he does not control everything that happens. Because if he controlled everything, then every bad thing that happens, he would put into action and allow. But we're not going to get into all that tonight. Sovereignty is an attribute of God. And he is sovereign. His, it means his will will be done. But now how we get there is a big discussion for another night. (laughs) We'll we'll do that again sometime. So to end off tonight, I want to give you just a few more words because Miriam hadn't written enough things down. She's taking a whole notebook here. So here's a few more, Miriam. Some words that describe the nature of God. And, And we could go on for a week. But here's a few more. The word infinite means without origin. No one created God. Okay? Um, Another is truth. God is truth. That's from John 14, 6. God is healer. Exodus 15, 26. We're talking about the nature of God. It is God's nature to see us healed. It is His nature that we be healed. Another descriptive word is covenant maker. From Genesis 17. God is a covenant maker. A covenant is something that cannot be broken. Right? God is a rewarder from Hebrews 11.6. He is a rewarder. And boy, oh boy, I can't wait to see my reward one day. Woo! You know, He rewards while we're here, though. We don't have to wait till we get to heaven to see our... That's our heavenly reward. We have rewards here. He is a rewarder of those who faithfully seek Him. I'm seeking him now. I don't have, you know, I, I'm, there's some reward now. Amen? Uh, God is merciful. That means he's full of compassion. 
That's from Romans 9, 15 and 16. And God is gracious. That means he spares the guilty. That's from Psalm 145, 8. You know, um, I've heard it described, grace is when we get what we don't deserve. That's grace. And mercy is when we don't get what we do deserve. That's mercy. Amen? God is wisdom. From Romans 11.33, wisdom. God knows what to do, when to do it, and how to do it. Every time. God is a judge, and He is just. That's from Deuteronomy 32.4. He is infinitely and unchangeably right and perfect in all that He does. He is a, a just judge. And then God is a consuming fire. Deuteronomy 4.24. And that goes along with the next one, that he is jealous. Jealous from Exodus thirty four fourteen. Now why would God, who is love and good and all that, all of a sudden be jealous in a consuming fire? We can study that a little bit more. We can study any one of these for a whole lesson. But you know what God is jealous of? He's jealous of your attention. That's what the Word says. He's, he is jealous for me. He's not jealous of anything. He is jealous for me. He wants my attention. That's what He's jealous for. God is perfect. Matthew five forty eight. God is a refuge and help. Psalm 46. And one more. God is eternal. Eternal. No beginning and no end. Revelations 22.13 And again, Psalm 90, verse 2. And Psalm 102.25-27 You will... Learn to, that, that God is an eternal God. Did you get those, Miriam? So I've given you guys some good notes tonight. Some good study references. you got a lot to study this week, amen? Um, I'm trying to get you guys to, to really dig into the heart of who God is. It's, it, it, it's nice to study about God and all the feel-good things, but... Kind of get down to the nitty gritty and look about, you know, the nature of God and who He is and and what He wants us to know about Him. What He wants us to know about Him is written in that Word. Is written in that Word. And this is just a little taste of that. Amen? Are y'all good? Amen.